Thank you for tuning in to Emmanuel Faith Community Church. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Hey, it is so good to be back with you, uh, worshiping with you, my wife and family and I. We had a great time in Colorado visiting our family, but um, I love that we have a life and jobs and friends that we just love coming back to. So it is so good to be back and worshiping with you today. Uh, just filled my heart and I pray that it filled yours as well. If you're joining us online, welcome. Really grateful that you're here as well. You know, if you've been with us over the last few months, you know that we're in what's going to end up being an almost year-long series in the letter of 1 Corinthians. It's in our New Testament. And because people are more inconsistent in the summer and some of our teachers are as well, um, we decided to take a little bit of a break from 1 Corinthians to do our summer series in the book of Proverbs that we're calling Masterclass Expert Advice on Living Well. Really grateful to Pastor Josh and Scott who got us started on this series. And I just wanted to begin today by giving just a little bit of um, high level on the book of Proverbs. Did you know that um, Proverbs are in the scriptures, but Proverbs aren't only in the scriptures? I mean, many cultures around the world have Proverbs. You might have heard of a few of them. There's this African proverb that said, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. Uh, there's this Australian proverb that says, throw another shrimp on the bar. No, that's not it. Um, don't count your chickens before they're hatched. Right. There's this Egyptian proverb, time never gets tired of running. Anybody want to add an amen to that? Just feels like time just keeps going and it seems like it's speeding up, right? There's a Bulgarian proverb, tell me who your friends are so I can tell you who you are. An English proverb, two wrongs don't make a right. Yeah, proverbs are short, pithy statements about the, about the way that the world generally works. They're principles, not promises. And here's what that means. That means that it's really hard to read through the book of Proverbs in the scriptures and to draw out a proverb and to sort of name it and claim it, right? Because a proverb is a principle. It's wisdom about the way that the world generally works, not something that works every single time, right? So they're principles, not promises. And the difference between Proverbs in general and the Proverbs recorded in scripture is that the ones recorded in scripture are God-breathed. They're God saying, yes, this is how I have created my world to work. Now, a short disclaimer that the book of Proverbs doesn't line up great to teach exegetically. Meaning like if we started in chapter one and went all the way through chapter 31, preached verse by verse, there would be some teachings that felt a little bit schizophrenic, right? Like we would start it off on one thing and then jump to another and then to another. And other than chapters one through nine, it doesn't shape itself great for exegetical teaching, which is why we've done our best to sort of dig through and sift through to find themes that seem to repeat themselves all throughout the Proverbs. And so we're going to chase those themes over the next few weeks. Themes like work and diligence. Themes like generosity and what we do with our time, our talents, and our treasure. And then themes like the weight of our words that we'll talk about next week. But today, we're going to start by looking at the wisdom of friendship. 
The year was, Dece- it was December of 1991. I was 11 years old. And a few months earlier, my family had just decided that we were moving from California to Colorado. We moved out of California before it was cool, okay? And um, just kidding. <laughs> I was distraught as an 11-year-old kid. I was absolutely wrecked. And my dad happened to be in the choir at the church that we went to, a church we were deeply connected to, but he also was in the worship band and he was a lead singer and they covered songs. And so they had one last concert before we moved from California to Colorado. And right after they covered Carmen's Radically Saved that almost brought the house down, they decided to sing Michael W. Smith's Friends Are Friends Forever. I was an 11 year old kid very aware of what people were thinking about me, or at least what I thought they were thinking about me. And even that insecurity could not stop the waterworks that just came down. And a friends are friends forever. If the Lord's the Lord of the... Nobody? Or one person was gonna... I, I have one friend. Thank you. Here, right here. Yeah, and they started singing, and I just started, my eyes, I just started, I just started crying, and I had this realization as a really young kid that friendships were important. Friendships were meaningful. In fact, as a child, friendships were life. But then something happens as we get quote-unquote mature, right? That there are other things that start to be prioritized, other things that become more important to us. And as we mature, quote unquote, and as we grow, friendship doesn't take as quite a prominent seat as our, in our life. And it sort of becomes something incidental or accidental if it happens at all. But very rarely is it prioritized. And it goes from a necessity to a nice addition. And I want to suggest to you that the wisdom of Proverbs is going to unearth for us that there is never a time in our life when friendship is sort of a peripheral thing to our lives, that it is absolutely essential. If we are going to live the lives God designed us to live, if we're going to flourish, if we're going to experience joy, we need, need to develop good, healthy friendships. The Harvard Study of Adult Development, which was launched in 1938, followed 268 sophomores at Harvard through the course of their life. It was the longest study ever done. And the goal of the study was to try to figure out what is it that makes a human life flourish? Is it money? Is it work? Is it where you live? What is it? If we could dissect a human life and sort of figure out what makes somebody flourish, what would it be? And over the course of the 70 plus years that the study went on, what they found was that the best indicator of whether or not somebody lived a happy and healthy life was do they develop and keep good relationships? That was the finding. Now, as somebody who's a follower of Jesus, this comes as absolutely no surprise to me. No surprise at all. In fact, the scriptures have been testifying to this way before Harvard was ever in existence. In fact, on page two of the Bible, in Genesis chapter two, um, the scriptures read like this. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper that's fit for him. Now, if you begin reading in Genesis chapter 1 and read all the way through Genesis chapter 2 and you get to verse 18, there's almost like skid marks where your car just comes to a screeching halt in verse 18 because 
It feels out of alignment with all that's been talked about. I mean, Genesis chapter 1 is like God creates and it's what? Good. I mean, he says it a number of times. Creates, good. Creates animals, good. Creates plants, good. Creates human beings. God like pauses and goes, well, I guess I'm God so I can congratulate myself. It's very good. Right? Very good. And nothing changes in, in, in between Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in that like sin doesn't enter the world. Brokenness isn't a part of the story yet. Like, like God looks then at Adam and he's alone and he says, it is what? Not good. So catch this. Before sin enters the world, God plus Adam alone is not enough. So introduce sin into that picture. I'm just going to throw this out there. Jesus plus you alone, not enough. And certainly the direct application of this passage would probably be about marriage. But I think that this passage is way more God saying that isolation is not, not good rather than singleness is not good. I think that that's his point. And C.S. Lewis captured this so well in his book, Four Loves, when he said, to the ancients, friendship seemed to be the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. It's a good sort of snapshot of the way that we viewed friendship throughout history. This is the crowning virtue. But the modern world, in comparison, ignores it. That seems to be true, doesn't it? That seems to be true. We are living in a culture that I believe is an assault on friendship. Whether it's our rugged individualism that we've embraced in the West, or whether it's our digital isolation that so many of us live confined by, or, or even things like working remotely. I mean, we used to accidentally make friends at work. And even that! It's like, no mas, right? We're not, we don't even do that anymore. Just a few weeks ago, there's a comedian named Max Dickens who wrote an article entitled, Why So Many Men Have No Friends. And in the article, he writes about getting married, planning his wedding, and having to choose a best man. And he had almost nobody he could contact. And I don't think he's alone. I don't think he's alone. And this isn't an only male issue, but I want to just stand up here and say, it's a challenge to cultivate good, healthy friendships. So maybe you've experienced loneliness. Maybe you're in a season of loneliness right now. Maybe you've been betrayed by somebody who you thought was a friend, and that showed you how important friendship was. Maybe you've had to say goodbye to somebody who you loved deeply and dearly, and it drew out for you just how important friendship is. But it's into that cacophony of pain that the Proverbs want to speak to us. And they want to tell us, listen, cultivating good, healthy, meaningful friendships is not something that happens on the periphery of your life. But you have to shape your life so that friendships are central. Listen to a few things that the Proverbs say about friendship. Proverbs 13 verse 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise but the companion of fools will suffer harm. How many parents want their kids to understand that truth? Come on, can I get an amen? Yeah. 
Proverbs 17, 17, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Proverbs 25, 17, let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Now, I would like to suggest to you that if Solomon were writing this proverb today, I don't know that he would write it the same way. I think he'd write something to us like, let your, let your foot set its place in your friend's house like every once in a while so that they know you don't hate them, right? Like, I think that maybe we don't go over to our friend's houses quite as much as they used to. And then maybe what I would argue is the crowning jewel of Proverbs in regards to what it looks like to live as a good friend. Iron sharpens iron. And one man or one person sharpens another. And that's the proverb that I want to drill into a little bit deeper today. It's a picture being painted that would have been well known by ancient Israel. That a blacksmith, when they were sharpening a knife or a sword, they would take another piece of iron and they would use that iron to shave down all of the rough imperfections around the edge that they wanted to be sharp. And they would use iron to sharpen another piece of iron. And, and Solomon would say, hey, friendship works the same way. Lives work the same way. Like iron sharpening iron, so one life against another life has the ability to sharpen, has the ability to form, has the ability to make better. And I think what Solomon would want us to hear this morning is that friendship is designed to cultivate formation. That relational development is designed to cultivate, or relational devotion is designed to cultivate personal development. Or maybe we could say it like this, that friendship is designed not just to make you feel good, but to help you live better. One of the means by which God shapes us and forms us are our friendships. And I love the way that um, the, the term used to be used in a lot of circles throughout sort of the course of church history, the term was spiritual friendship. I love that term. I think it's a good term because it sort of moves friendship beyond like, hey, we get together and watch the game together. To we expect something meaningful to happen when we are together. I love the way that Ruth Haley Barton put it when she said, spiritual friendship is a relationship devoted to paying attention to the invitations of God in our lives and supporting one another in making a faithful response. That's a great picture of what spiritual friendship is and what it means. And today I want to explore from the book of Proverbs what it looks like to develop those types of friendships. Because here's the thing, don't miss this, don't miss this. Your life will either be diminished or developed by the people who are in your circle of closest friends. And so wisdom, wisdom is saying, God, help me become the kind of person who's able to cultivate good friendships with others and, and help me become the kind of person who's able to receive friendship from other people. So turn back with me just to Proverbs 27, verse 5, is where we're going to start in trying to sort of walk through this proverb and see what Solomon would say to us about friendship. Like I said, we're going to have to jump around a little bit, but he puts a good scaffolding up for us that I'd like for us to try to grow up this morning. And here's how he starts, verse 5. He says, Better is open rebuke 
than hidden love. Faithful are the what? Wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. The wounds of a friend. What is that? What does that mean? What's he painting a picture of? It means that there's sometimes when somebody who cares deeply about you says something that stings a little bit. Has anyone ever had this happen? Has anyone ever said something like this? I think it's really, really challenging in our cultural moment to live this out. We live in a culture of outrage. We disagree with each other and it's like, Guns blazing, grenades launching, we divide and we say things like, you're dead to me. And here's what I want to gently, as gently as I can say, if you don't have any friends that are willing to tell you the truth, you might not have any true friends. Uh, My wife, Kelly, used to absolutely hate driving in the snow and ice in Colorado. Um, it's one of the reasons we moved. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But she, that was one thing in the pro column for her, for sure, right? She prayed away many winter storms in Colorado. And, and here's the thing about driving in the snow or in the ice. Your tire needs the friction against the road in order to go, right? You take that friction away and you aren't going anywhere. And I think what Solomon is saying is not only do you need friction to go, you also need friction to grow. That if you don't have anybody in your life that's willing to bring a little bit of friction, that's willing to speak a word of truth, even when you don't want to hear it, then maybe we are stunting our own growth by surrounding ourselves with people that just tell us what we want to hear. So Paul would say it like this, but rather speaking the truth in love, we are to what? Grow up in every way. So let's do a little bit of scripture um, math today. Here's what Paul is saying. Truth plus love equals growth. Truth plus love equals growth. So if you take truth out of the equation and you just have love, and you just tell people what they want to hear, do you have growth? Probably not. But what happens if you take love out of the equation? Which many in the church have been accused of. Well, we're just speaking truth, right? What happens if you take love? Does truth alone equal growth? Paul's saying probably not. No, you, you actually need both truth and love in order to grow, which I think is also a great word for parents, is it not? That as we parent and as we interact with our kids, that they need both truth and love in order to grow to become the people that God designed them to be. So as we look at friendships that form us, I think the first thing that Solomon would want us to see is that gentle honesty probably needs to be a part of the equation. Gentle honesty. And as I think about that, I think it's a great picture of Jesus. I mean, the only time in the scriptures Jesus describes himself is Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. And he says about himself, I am gentle and humble in heart. But he also speaks really hard truth. He develops a few enemies along the way. Is that, that's an understatement, right? Like they killed him, right? And yet he would say, I'm gentle and humble in heart. What does it look like for us to live out gentle honesty? Let me give you two things at least that I think it looks like. 
Number one is that we are willing to point out blind spots in the lives of our friends. We're, we're willing to say, hey, um, your perception of yourself may not be as accurate as you think it is. Okay, so let me, let's just do a quick experiment here. Raise your hand if you have blind spots. Okay, now just keep it up. Look around. Look around. That's all of us, right? So all of us ought to be open to that. And yet it's really, really hard when somebody speaks that, isn't it? So here's what I found. One, ask questions. Invite it. It's easier to talk about somebody's blind spots if they open themselves up to you talking about it. Number one, when somebody points out a blind spot, you might respond by saying something like, ouch, that helps. In fact, let's just all say it together. It's just so good to say together. Let's just say it together. Ouch, that helps. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really, really helpful because blind spots are growth preventers and they are joy stealers and they prevent a lid on how much we can grow. So you want people that are willing to point out your blind spots and you need people that are willing to call out your sin. You don't want friends that are just going to applaud you as you drive your life into the ground. You don't. Those aren't real friends. But as Robert South said, a friend will play a role of an advocate before they assume the role of a judge. So make sure that you've earned the right to be heard. It might be saying something like, hey, I see the road that you're going down and I just want you to know that I love you but don't support you in that. It may be saying something like, I know that you are all in on that relationship, but I don't think it's what God has for you, and here's why. It might be saying something like, I get it, this is where our culture's going in regards to sexuality and gender and all those different questions, but here's what I think the scriptures really clearly teach. It's having hard conversations that we would typically want to push back from, and then it's leaning in. Are you... Not only open to having friendships like that, are you open to being that kind of friend? Solomon would say it's, it's wisdom. Second, listen to what he says next, verse 14. He says, whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. <laughs> Anybody want to add their hearty amen to that? You're the night owl. You're here at the 1045 because the nine o'clock is just way too early. Anybody want to say yes to that, right? Okay, okay. The image is intended to be humorous, but it's also poignant that this person is saying something good, but their timing is terrible. Have you ever met somebody like that? Where it just seemed like, man, the content of what they said wasn't all that bad, but they could not choose a worse time to say it. My dad used to wake us up every Sunday morning for church and he would come into mine and my brother's room when we were kids, we shared a room. He would come in, open the door and he would sing. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Rise and shine and give God the glory, glory. Children of the... And I wanted to look at my dad and say, get behind me, Satan. Right? Like, come on. Like, that, like, the content of the song, 
not bad. I'm totally, 100% on board. The timing of the song. Let's get this man some help. I think what Solomon's saying, I think what Solomon's saying is that if we're going to develop formative friendships, that we have to be, and I'm going to use the term, we have to develop selfless attentiveness to the needs of others. It's hard to be a good friend if you insist on always getting your way or doing things your way. Then I think what Solomon's saying is, hey, um, if your neighbor wants to sleep in, the way to cultivate a good relationship with your neighbor is letting them sleep in. Now, here's the thing. If your neighbor happens to be hitting the snooze button so many times that it drives you crazy, you may want to have a conversation with them about that, okay? I'm just kidding. I don't know where that came from, but... See, here's what he's saying. I think there's some wisdom in what he's saying. Number one, number one, it's that the way that we say something and when we say something matters almost as much as what we say. And number two, number two, that if we are, if our goal is good communication, then we have to be concerned with the way the message not just is said, but the way the message is received. See, because how a message is received determines its effectiveness. It's hard to be a good friend if you're unwilling to consider how what you say is received. So you may find yourself saying a lot of times, well, I didn't mean it like that, or that wasn't my intention. And while good intentions are absolutely necessary, they are not the only thing that's necessary. I didn't mean for the comment to be taken like that, but, and that but really, really does matter. And so if you find yourself being defensive about the way your message or your words are received, it may be time to just start thinking about thinking about others. How is that message landing with other people? And so Solomon uses this picture of waking somebody up early in the morning to drive home his point. And as we continue to walk through this chapter, look again at verse 17. As iron sharpens iron, so one person, one man sharpens another. And there's two things that I want to draw out from that picture. Number one is that when iron is sharpening iron, it creates heat. It creates sparks. If you were to ask the iron, does this feel good? If iron could talk, it would probably say no. And it would want you to stop. And we know that heat, don't we? We know that heat in friendships. We know that heat in marriages. We know that heat in the workplace. We know that heat when things are just a little bit off and a little bit challenging or when somebody's walking through a really, really difficult situation and it would be far easier to say, I'm gonna distance myself from that. You go get yourself healthy and then we can be back in a friendship together, right? And it's easier to tap out than it is to stay connected. But I think one of the pictures that Solomon is painting for us of healthy, life-giving friendships is that they are stubbornly loyal. They say, I am going to stick with you and by your side, even when it's hot and even when it hurts and even when the proverbial sparks fly. 
in order to have formative friendships in our life, we have to be willing to endure the heat. I love the way that Proverbs describes this in verse 17 of chapter 17. A friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. I think this is one of the reasons that betrayal is so painful. Because betrayal often happens at that moment of truth. When life gets hard, when things start to hit the fan, and when the people who you need to stand shoulder to shoulder with you are gone. By contrast, Charles Spurgeon said it like this, friendship is one of the sweetest joys of life. Many might have failed beneath the bitterness of their trial had they not found a friend. This might be another way to look at it this morning, and you may even want to write this down, that friendship needs to be at its best when life is at its worst. That's the moment. That's the moment. So what does that look like in real life? Let me give you just a few things that I think it looks like. As I've sort of read through these Proverbs and tried to figure out, give us a picture of friendship in the Proverbs, there's a few things that stand out to me. Number one is from Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, that says, A man of many, what? Companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I think Solomon wants us to see, listen, there is a difference between companions and friends. Companions, when life gets hard, they're out of there. Friendship, when life gets hard, they are even closer. If you go back and you watch uh, old Western movies, there were always two types of friends in old Westerns. That when the battle came to town, there was a kind of friend that was the runner. They're out of there. Shootout happens, they're nowhere to be found. But then there was the type of friend who was the fighter, who was, I'm going to stand with you and I am in this battle with you. And if we're going to live out stubborn loyalty, I think we have to be the kind of people that say, I'm going to stick close. When life gets hard, I'm going to stick close when it's easier to run away. But look at what he said next in chapter 17, verse 14. The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So quit before the quarrel breaks out. And here's the picture he's painting. It's of letting water out of a dam. And at first, the water's just sort of trickling out. But anybody seen this happen? Where the longer the water goes out, the wider the breach in the dam gets. And then there's this moment, this tipping point, right? Where you couldn't stop it if you wanted to. There was a time when you could stop it, but that time is long gone. And now that water is going to pour out and it's going to destroy everything in its path. I think what Solomon is saying is if you want to have stubbornly loyal friendships, you have to be willing to address conflict immediately before it gets out of control. Before it goes Johnny Depp and Amanda Heard, right? (laughs) Before there's nothing you can do to stop it, pray as much as you want, but it's just... It's going, right? And here's the thing. Can I just speak really honestly with you today? There are some of you, your marriage is in that spot today. Your friendship is in that spot today. 
There's a relationship that you know, you're thinking of it right now, that's in that spot today. It's something small, but if you don't address it now, it's just going to fester. And when things fester, they only grow, they don't shrink. Stubbornly loyal friendships address things as quickly as they can. And then finally, as Proverbs 19.11 says, good sense makes one slow to anger. And it's his glory to overlook an offense. I love this picture because glory is a word that's used to describe God a lot. It means literally weightiness, but it could also mean beauty or majesty or goodness. And so what Solomon's saying is that our lives are glorious when we forgive quickly, when we keep no records of wrongs. You want to be a stubbornly loyal friend? Forgive quickly. And Solomon says, it'll also make you a beautiful person. Kelly does this for me. I try to do it for her. My guess is you have people like this in your life too. The question I want to ask is, will you be that kind of person for someone else? Finally, um, iron sharpening iron. I just want to make an obvious observation. Never happens by accident. Like if you take two pieces of iron and you put them in your closet, leave them there for a week, come back after a week. I'm just going to go out on a limb and say neither one of them is going to become a sword. Right? It's not going to be a dagger. It's not going to happen by accident. That when you sharpen iron with another piece of iron, both of those pieces of iron have to be brought into contact at the right angle for the right amount of time by the right skilled person. And I think what Solomon's saying is friendship happens the same way. That you may develop acquaintances by accident, but you only develop friendships through intention. Let me say that again. You may develop acquaintances by accident, but we only develop friendships through intention. And formative friendships, they require intentional pursuit. And I get it, in our age of rugged individualism, that is often not our first default. But what Solomon is saying is that wisdom is raising her voice in the streets to say to you and to me, friendship cannot be something on the periphery of our life if we want to flourish. It has to be central to who we are. And that means it's going to take time, right? I mean, accepting a friend on Facebook takes a click. Becoming a friend in real life takes intention. And it takes intention in our calendar. But it also takes intention in our hearts, Because you and I, because of sin in the world, because of things that we've walked through, many of us, we carry what sometimes is called a shame narrative. And here's what a shame narrative says in regards to friendship. If they really knew me, they'd reject me. If they really knew the things that I thought and the places that I've been, then they would reject me. So we, you know, put on our Sunday best. Not just on Sunday, but when we come to friendships. And we show up wearing a mask. How are things going? Awesome. Hashtag blessed. So good. Couldn't be better. Like only one room of my house is on fire, right? Like it's all good, right? And the deep fear is if they really knew what was going on, they would reject me. So we wear the mask. But here's the devastating part about wearing a mask. When you wear a mask and are loved 
only the mask gets the love. And it just turns into this cycle. See, they love me, but only because they don't really know me. If they really knew me, then they'd reject me. And the invitation that I want to throw out is to be vulnerable. Not just with our time, but with our souls. To invite healthy people in who we respect and who respect us and who've proven that they're with us. Safe people to invite them into our life in deep and meaningful ways. I love the way that Kurt Thompson in his wonderful book, The Soul of Shame, put it. He said, shame positions itself in such a way as to keep the borders tightly closed and vulnerability at a minimum. The, the, the borders of our heart. It teaches us not to review weakness, fearing that to do so would lead to our being shamed, the very antithesis of what we need for human sourcing or human longing. And I just want to invite you, maybe this week, to drop the mask, to engage vulnerably, and to pursue others, not just with your time, but with your heart. Let me, let me just invite you to do something really quick, and then we're going to land the plane. Um, this idea of intentional pursuit. Would you just close your eyes for a moment, and would you ask Jesus, is there somebody in my life right now that you are inviting me or challenging me to pursue? Anybody have a name that popped into their head? I'm not going to make you share them, but just raise your hand. Anybody? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, me too. Right on. So here's my challenge for you. I, I, well, I actually think it's Jesus' challenge for you, is that this week, do something to reach out and try to shape and form that friendship into more of an iron ironing, iron iron sharpening relationship. But here's the kicker, you guys. Here's the kicker. The only way for us to have truly formative friendships in the way that God designed them to work in our life, the only way for us to live into that truth is if we standly firm, stand, if we stand firmly in the love of God. That's the only chance that we have in order to live that out. Let me say it another way. Formative friendships are a byproduct of the gospel that you need to know in order to be vulnerable, in order to share your life with others, in order to pursue others, in order to embrace a posture of gentle honesty and stubborn loyalty and other-centered attentiveness. In order to do that, you have to be confident that you are loved beyond reason by the God of the universe that he has made you, created you, sees you, knows you, has made you holy, that he calls you his own. And it's only when we stand in that place that then we are able to invite others into our lives and enter their lives in a way that would bring health and wholeness and flourishing and growth. See, we call Jesus creator and we call him Lord, we call him savior, we call him Messiah. But did you know he also invites us to call him friend? Now listen to what he says in John chapter 15. He says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. And see, if we try to live all of this really, really good stuff out from the book of Proverbs, but we don't first stand firm in the friendship that we have with the God of the universe, 
I believe that we will always fall short of what God designed us to experience. But when we stand confident in his love, we are then able to live out of the place of being loved and form healthy, formative friendships with others. You might put it like this. Your most important friendship is with Jesus. So what if today you just imagined that Jesus wanted to be gently honest with you? What if you started to believe that he was being attentive to your needs, not just his own desires? What if you started to believe that he was willing to endure the heat, that even when things got hard and hot, he was not going to bail? Jesus is the most stubbornly loyal friend you will ever have. He's like, no, 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 nothing can separate you from my love. And I'm not going anywhere. I will be with you to the very end of the age. And what if you believed that today, right now, he is pursuing you? It's that gospel infusion into our souls that frees us to develop formative friendships. And developing formative friendships is wise because our lives flourish when they are in place. Let's pray. Before we go to prayer, let me just invite you to take a moment and ask the Lord what it is that he wants you to hear from today and and then do in response. Because we want to be not just hearers of the word, but doers of it also. What's one thing you could do in response? Maybe it's reaching out and apologizing to somebody. Maybe it's inviting somebody out to coffee or lunch or over for dinner. Maybe it's writing a letter to somebody. What could you do in response? Would you just ask the Lord? Good Father, we, we love you. Jesus, we worship you. Spirit, we want to be attentive to what you're doing in our, in our souls, even right now. And Lord, I'm so grateful that while you're, you're the Savior, you're the Messiah, you're the Creator, you're the Sacrifice, you also invite us to call you friend. So right now, we just picture you right by our side. Walking through the challenges of life that we all have. We're grateful that you're never too busy for a talk. That you're never too busy for a, to share a cup of coffee. You're never too insecure to not share what you really think. That you never just tap out, that you always chase us down. And Lord, our prayer would be that that friendship with you would shape every relationship that we have. So help us grow, form us, shape us. Lord, I just wanna, pray over our church that this would be a place in life groups, classes, and different ministries, in the lobby afterwards, in the courtyard, that this church would be a place 
where true, genuine, meaningful friendships are formed and where we're changed because of them. Lord, help us be those kinds of friends and then Lord, help us be open to those kind of friendships, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our service. We'd love to have you join us in person. For more information about our church and service times, please visit efcc.org. If you would like to support the ministries of Emmanuel Faith, you can do so at efcc.org give.